Got your Bibles this morning. Go with me to the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to be sort of going on the same um, theme from last week, but just go from a different angle here in Acts chapter 17. And as you're turning there in Acts chapter 17, I'll kind of give you a little background info on this chapter. We find an account of Paul's second missionary journey. Now, this incident in Acts 17 occurred about 20 years after the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. If you remember in the previous chapter, um, Paul and Silas had, been to, had went to Philippi and, and they were thrown in prison because of preaching the name of Jesus. And at midnight, the Bible says in verse 25 of chapter 16, they begin to pray and sing praises unto God and that God caused an earthquake and released them from those prison bars. And so in Acts chapter 17, we now see where Paul has moved on because every time Paul went to a city, one or two things or both things always happened. There was always a riot or a revival or both. Okay, and, and after he would come to the town, they'd say, you got to get out of here. We, we can't, you know, we, we, this, this, this city can't stand this much longer. That's what the world would say that. And so we pick up the story here where Paul is traveled on, on his journey. And then we see where Paul has went to Thessalonica, and, which was a town of about 200,000 people. And guess what happens in Thessalonica? There's a riot. There's an uproar. And so we're going to pick up that because they tell Paul, get out of Thessalonica. And then we see, starting in verse 10, we see in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says this. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these, the Bereans, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And so in Acts chapter 17, we, we read that Paul spent three Sabbaths in the town of Thessalonica reasoning with them from the scriptures that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the true Son of God. And after he reasoned with them for three weeks, he formed a church there, the church at Thessalonica, which when you read the book of First and Second Thessalonians, we see Paul's letters to this church that he formed. And then he moves from the church at Thessalonica and he goes to the Bereans. Now there's an interesting thing that about these two churches, I want us to look at that this morning, of what they were commended for. The first thing, and just jumping into this today, the first thing that the church at Thessalonica and the Bereans were commended for was simply this. They both readily received the word. Okay? They both readily received the word. Verse 11, we read in our text, says that the Bereans readily received the word that Paul preached. In, in Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we read where the Apostle Paul says this. He says, you didn't think our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. 
Now, the question is this, what was it that Paul preached wherever he went? I believe we can look at that and surmise that because if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, when he was at the, church, the, the, the city of Corinth, this is what he says in verse 23 of chapter 1. He says, we preached Christ crucified. Wherever Paul went, he preached Christ crucified. And as a matter of fact, in chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says, and when I came to you, brethren... I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. And in verse 2 he says this. He says, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so wherever Paul went, his message was this. Jesus Christ has been come, has come to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross. He rose again for your and my sins so that we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That was the message that he preached wherever he went. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 about this message. In verse 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is this message that he preached? Well, first and foremost, he calls it the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. The good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that we can be made now right with God because of what Jesus Christ did for us. This message that he preached was not only good news, it was a powerful news. This right here has the ability to change people's lives. You're not going to get changed through politics. You get changed through the Word of God by the help of the Holy Spirit and working of the Holy Spirit. That's how people are changed. And we see this. We see how the gospel changed Peter from a reed to a rock. It also changed Mary Magdalene from one who was possessed by demons to one who was powerful by the Holy Spirit. We see that it changed a man named Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, into Paul, who was a chosen apostle, a chosen vessel to take this message to the, the Gentiles and to the Jews. We see that the gospel is what this world needs more than anything else. And I've determined to know nothing among you except the gospel of Jesus Christ and know only Jesus Christ. He also says not only is it good news and not only is it powerful, he says it's available to everyone. He says it's to all who believe. It's not just for the Jews, thank God. It's for the rich. It's for the poor. It's for the young. It's for the old. It's for the adulterer. 
It's for the idolater. It's for the homosexual. It's for the idol worshiper. It's for those that are greedy. This gospel is for everyone. And I've had somebody ask me this week. They said, what would you do if so-and-so comes into your church? I say, listen, our church is open to everyone. Now, we're not going to back down, okay? We're going to preach the word of God exactly the way it is and let God's word change them. This right here is a hospital. It's a place that people are sick, are, are, are sick with sin, that they can come into God's house. Now, we're not going to make you feel comfortable in your sin. We're going to let the Holy Spirit convict you. But you're more than welcome to come in. And so the thing about the Bereans, the thing about the church at Thessalonica is they receive the word with gladness, with eagerness. The second thing is this. Not only they received the word, they responded to the word. They didn't just listen to it, but they responded to it. They applied it to their life. See, the gospel is not only profitable for our salvation, but also for our Christian growth as well. It's not simply a roadmap to heaven, this right here is a roadmap for our everyday living. Because in the pages of the Bible is where you find the truth of who God is. It's where you find the truth of who we are. It's where you find the identity, identity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's where you find the way to be saved. It's where you find help for every battle we face. It's where you find peace in times of turmoil. It's where you find wise answers for all of life's questions. It's where you find guidance and direction for all the paths that we walk. See, it's one thing just to hear the word, but it's another thing to heed the word or do what the word says. Look at James chapter 1. Verse 22 through 25, look what James says about the word. He says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. See, you can come in church and listen Sunday after Sunday after Sunday but if you don't apply it to your life, you are fooling yourself. You understand that? Let me, let me kind of give you an illustration here. If you are sick and you go to the doctor, the doctor can tell you what's wrong with you. And if he diagnoses what's wrong with you, he's going to write you a prescription. Now, you've got the choice when you take that prescription. You can say, you can go to the pharmacy and say, how much does this cost? And they can say, well, it costs $200. You say, well, I'm not doing that. Well, you could even get the prescription filled, and you can let that medicine sit at home on the counter. But until you get the prescription, until you take the medicine, don't expect what he told you is wrong with you and what the solution is to, to work in your life. Now listen, we can listen to the diagnosis, but until we get the prescription, until we apply it to our life, no wonder we're still in the same condition that we are in. See, it's not just enough to just listen to the word, we've got to apply it to our lives. Then he goes on and says this, verse 23, for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, 
It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. Then he says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So listen, it's not enough just to receive the word. You got to respond to the word. Now, let's go to the next thing. Not only did both groups readily receive the word, not only did they readily respond to the word, but there's kind of a, a deviation here because only one group researched the word or examined the word. Look at verse 11, what he says about the Bereans. He says, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. Now look at this. Examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. We live in an information age, but very little wisdom. Okay? We can get our hands, our eyes, our ears on more information than at any point in history. You can listen to more preachers, more teachers, than at any point in your life. And unfortunately, because there is an overload of information, this has led to many different things being said, many different things being espoused, and all it's led people into is confusion. And let me say this, God is not the author of confusion, okay? He's the author of peace. See, when you look at every, and I, I, I researched this this week, in every New Testament book, with the exception of Philemon, there is one theme or one subject that is mentioned in every single one of those books and it is the writer warning his readers about being led astray by false teaching, by false preaching, by false prophets. Okay? Even Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 4, when he talked about the end times, he said, see to it that no one misleads you. Even Paul, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, when he met with the elders at Ephesus, he said this. He said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He said, I know what's going to happen. When I leave this place, I know that people's going to come in, wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're going to try to lead you astray and get you off Jesus Christ. 
And that's exactly what happened at the church at Thessalonica. See, after Paul left the church at Thessalonica, there were some people that came in behind him and stirred up trouble by promoting false doctrine and teaching. Now, the issue they were dealing with was the return of Christ. And some were teaching them that the Lord Jesus had already returned. Look what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2a to them. He says, don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already arrived. Now my question is this, why were they shaken and why were they alarmed? It was simply this, they were listening to the wrong people. They were listening to the wrong so-called teachers. They were listening to the so-called wrong prophets. And let me say this. Anyone can get on your TV screen, can get in a church with a deep voice and say, Thus saith the Lord. Yeah. Paul tells a Galatians in Galatians 1 and 8, he says this, even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Think about what he's saying there. He says if you see an angel and they try to get you off the gospel, he says let them be accursed. See, my fear is this. Even though we live in an age of information, we, as the body of Christ, we don't know enough about Scripture to rightly divide it and be able to tell what's truth and error. I'm talking about in general, okay? I'm just talking about in general. Most of us spend time, like today, we're looking on a screen, and that's what we do all throughout the week. We look at a screen, and we don't get into this, okay? Now, I know it's going to get kind of quiet here for a few minutes, but that's okay. See, just because someone has a lot of followers, just because someone has a big church, just because someone has a lot of likes, doesn't mean that they are truthful or even telling you the truth. You understand that? See, unfortunately, being gullible is not a fruit or gift of the Spirit. Because if it was, a lot of people would be able to claim that. See, we Christians ought to be more noble-minded like the Bereans and search out and examine the Scriptures and see if what people are telling us is found in God's Word or it is not. Now listen, I challenge you, every single time I come up here to this pulpit, you take notes and you go search the Scriptures yourself and see if what I'm telling you cannot be rightly divided and found in the Scriptures. See, I realize this, as 
as Paul would say, listen, not many of us should desire to be teachers because we realize teachers will be judged more strictly on that day. What I preach in this pulpit, I will give an account for. Think about it. See, I don't just go to any restaurant and I don't just eat anybody's food. And I don't just listen to any preachers because they're on TV. I make sure that I search scriptures and see whether what is being taught, what is being said, can be backed up in the Word of God. See, look what Paul admonishes the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 22. And as he's concluding his first letter, he's kind of giving them like a smorgasbord of things that they should be doing. So the first thing he says is, he says, do not quench the spirit. In other words, how, what does that mean, quench the spirit? Well, you've ever heard it like this, well, I'm thirsty, I'm going to quench my thirst. In other words, I'm going to put out my thirst, okay? What he's saying is, don't stifle the spirit in your life, okay? Don't quench him. Let him do the work that he is called to do in your life. And that is opening your eyes, you know, different things, leading and guiding you to all truth, all those things that he helps you walk and live a holy life. And then he says this in verse 20, and do not despise prophetic utterances. Now we can get into debate on what prophetic means there, uh, whether it's foretelling or foretelling. Um, but I, I believe what that one is talking about is, for, is, is foretelling. In other words, the scriptures don't despise preaching. Don't treat it as, as nothing. Then he says this in verse 21. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. That word examine there means to test and determine if something is genuine or value of an object or an event. So in other words, he tells them, you test everything and see whether it is true or not. See, it is dangerous to blindly accept what someone teaches, what someone preaches, because this is how a lot of us were raised. We were raised that you don't question anything because if you question something, you may be blaspheming. Right? We don't question that because you do, you may be blaspheming. That is not blaspheming. I'm going to tell you that's not blasphemy. Another thing about blasphemy, you got to look at it like this. When Jesus talked about blasphemy, these people were there with Jesus. They saw him raise the dead. They heard what he said, and what he said could be proven by the scriptures. And yet, even though he raised the dead, 
even though he opened blinded eyes, even though he fed 5,000, even though he did all these miracles, even though he said, listen, you search the scriptures and see if what I'm saying is not lined up with God's word. Even though the facts prove that he was from God, they said, we will not accept this. That's the difference. That's the difference. See, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when the Apostle Paul is talking about gifts in the, of the Spirit in the church, he says in verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 14, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. That's scriptural right there. Let others pass judgment. Even John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into this world. Think about it. Do you realize the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, they were not rebuked for testing. They were commended for testing. Revelations 2.2, Jesus says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and you cannot tolerate evil men, and you have put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you have found them to be false. There's nothing wrong with testing everything you hear. You are supposed to because many will come in the last days saying, I am the Christ. Many false preachers, false teachers will come in the last days and they will lead people astray. Why? Because they have not known the word of God. They, have, they, they don't even know God. You think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. I don't have those up there. But Lord, what did he say? He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name have we not cast out devils? And what will he say? He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. So there's nothing wrong with testing and examining everything that you hear. Now let me give you this acrostic for test. How do we test things? How do we test things? First thing is this, it's like the T in the word test. And ask yourself the question, is this true? Is this true? Is what I'm being told, is it true? See, Jesus said in John 17 and 17, your word is truth. This right here is truth. The psalmist says in Psalms 19, 7 through 9, he says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is Sure, making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. 
This right here, is it true? Is it true? See, I am not much of a reader as far as other books, okay? You can bring me books and I'll throw them on my desk or whatever, okay? I just, I, 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 I'll accept them, but anyway. But there, you, you need to have more discernment when you open up a quote-unquote Christian book than you do a secular book. You understand? Because, listen, I know, I know the news media, both sides lie. Okay, I know it. I know when I'm watching, and I ain't watched news, I don't, I don't even know when, I probably back in February, last time I've watched a newscast. I know if I sit down and watch that, that they are bending things toward their perspective. I know that. But a lot of people, just because something is found in a Christian section of Books a Million or whatever, they don't realize that, and they think, well, this has got to be true because it's in a Christian section. But listen, I haven't plumbed the depths of this so why should I go somewhere else? I still got a lot of digging in here. I still got a lot of finding out in here. And so you got to ask yourself the question, is this the truth? Then the second thing, we'll take the E and say this, is it enduring? Is it enduring? See, this word right here, the psalmist says in Psalms 119, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. How long is it settled? Forever. That means it endures. Ephesians 4.14, the apostle Paul writes to that church at Ephesus. He says, then we will be no longer immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Listen. Be leery of new ideas of new doctrine, of new teaching. If it's something you've never heard before, it should perk your ears up and put you on high alert, on red alert. The S is this. Not only is it true, not only is it enduring, but you should ask yourself this. The third one is this. Is it sound? Is it sound? Is it wholesome? Is it healthy? What do you mean sound? How is something sound? Because let me, let me give you this illustration. There's some people that all they teach on is grace. Okay? That's all you get is grace. We're under grace. You can live what you want to do. Hey, we're under grace. That's not whole teaching. You understand that? Now, we're not in legalism. Okay? But there's a balance there. It's whole. It's not just one thing, one side of the, of the coin. You've got to do both sides of the coin. You understand that? And so when you are listening to someone, 
Is it sound? See, Paul tells Timothy in, in, in this, in 2 Timothy 4, 3, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. In other words, they will search out people that will tell them what they want to hear. And if you'll tell people what they want to hear, they'll keep coming back if it don't come to pass. Paul tells Titus, in Titus 29, holding fast to the faithful words, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13 and 9, so do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Don't follow strange teachings. Don't follow strange ideas. And so we got to say, is this true? Is this enduring? Is this sound? And the fourth one is this. I'm going to finish up the T. Is this source? Is this person trustworthy? Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Now listen, if I tell you something, I'd know that a week from today, I've got to come back and stand back up here and account for it. Okay? Now, a fly-by-night guy, they can come in here and tell you all kind of stuff and go on to the next town. And they don't have to answer for what they have to say. You understand this? Is this person trustworthy? If what they have told you has not come to pass, why do you keep listening to what they're saying? Hmm? I, I, I'm just asking a question. If what somebody tells you does not come to pass, why do you keep listening to what they are saying? I get sent stuff all the time. I've had somebody send me something from somebody for this past year. And this guy, there's some people around here that follow him and hang on every word he says. And I listen to it. And I can tell you 12 things he said was going to happen didn't happen. And he's still telling stuff's going to happen. And we still keep following it. Why? Why? Because we want somebody to tell us what we want to hear. We want somebody, this guy said this. He said there's going to come a new virus and it's only going to affect lost people. I heard it with my own ears. It's only going to affect sinners. And people are saying, amen, we claim that. Absolutely. That is what he said. And people are still gobbling up like it is. Listen, God never lies. If he said something, it is going to come to pass. You can take it to the bank. And if he didn't say it, if somebody says he did say it, he didn't say it. Let me put it like this. I'm going to try to quit before I... I'm running. I know. You ever heard somebody say something that's like this? Well, said that you said something that you didn't say. You ever had somebody do that? You know what I'm mad? You know what I'm mad that makes you? 
when they say you said something that you didn't say? If that makes you that mad, don't you think that makes God mad when people say God said something he didn't say? Do you not really think that? Absolutely, it does. And that's the reason why we have got to, in these last days, test everything. Don't be afraid to examine it. And if it's not true, get back to the only thing that is true. And so what does he tell him? Let, 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 me, let me close with this. I'm going to be playing. I know you probably ain't got a song for this one, but that's okay. <laughs> what do we do? What, do, what does he say in 2 Thessalonians 2, 15? This is what I'm going to do here. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, what does he say? Stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teachings we pass on to you both in person and by letter. He said, you stand fast, stand firm. Don't give an inch. Don't give an inch. And you keep a strong grip on what you know. See, if you, and I didn't bring this out this morning, but these teachers were coming in that church at Thessalonica and they had these revelations. They had these visions that they were saying, I had a vision, I had a revelation. Let me tell you something, if your vision, if your revelation doesn't line up with the word of God, I've got no use for it. I've got no use for it. If your dream doesn't line up with God, I've got no use for it. I just hold on to something that I know, I know that I know that I know that I know that's going to stand the test of time, that I know that's going to always be true, that I know that's going to bring me safely home. I'll just keep a firm grip, and I'll just stand firm in these days we're living in. And I tell you, church, if there's ever a time you need to get in God's Word and get off Facebook and get off Twitter and all that other kind of stuff, it is now because there's so many voices that are leading people astray and shipwrecking their faith because they're saying God said something when God didn't say something. And so build your life on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 7, when he concludes that Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, those that hear my words and do them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house on the rock. And though the winds came and though the waves crashed, guess what? That house stood the test of the storm. Why? Because it was built on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Build your life on God's Word, and you'll stand regardless of what's going on. Can we stand? Lord Jesus, God, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet, and it's a light unto our path. And Lord, I pray that we would hide your word in our hearts 
that we may not sin against you. God, your word is living, it's active, it's sharpening two-edged sword. It pierces even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Lord, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but your word never will pass away. And I thank God no matter what's going on in this world, you reign, you are coming again, and you are working everything out according to your plan and for your purpose. And I pray, Lord, that we would build our lives on your word and we would be like the Bereans we would receive the word every time we come into God's house we would respond to the word we would just not just hear it but we would do it but God we'd also research it examine it test it Lord to see if those things are so and it's in Jesus mighty name we pray and all God's people say amen God bless you. Don't forget Sunday school at 10 o'clock. Hope you'll stay for that. Have a great week in the Lord. Hope to see you Wednesday night at 630. Build your life on God's word.